Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome to Lit. This is Justin and Bryn, and we have a special guest with us today as we talk about the Incarnation, the Reverend Daniel Strandland, who's the vicar at St. Elizabeth in Buda, has joined us to venture down the road to discuss the Incarnation. We're so glad you've joined us today. Daniel, thank you for being here. We're so glad to have you. Glad to be with y'all. Thanks for the invitation. So let's dive right in. What the heck is the Incarnation? What is that? What is that big doctrine that's so important to so many in the early church? Um, it's a great question, and it's one that we've <laughs> Christian people have been exploring for a long time. Um, so the incarnation. Um, so the the if you just break that word down into its constituent parts, um, in incarnate, it just sort of means uh, to become flesh, uh, to become flesh and blood. And Christians use the word incarnation to talk about um, God's coming to earth um, and walking around as one of us um, in the figure of Jesus of Nazareth, who's a real uh, historical persona, uh, who had a real historical family, a real historical um, cultural background, and who probably preferred um, um, his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to be cut either in triangles or rectangles. That's one of the many mysteries that the New Testament leaves unanswered. Um, but all the things that make a person, this particular person, um, are true of God in Jesus of Nazareth. Um, uh, we, I think we tend to, so like the peanut butter sandwich um, example is kind of, you know, it's silly, but it's, um, we forget that um, nobody is a person in the abstract um, any more than you can speak language in the abstract. You're always speaking a particular language, and, and um, Jesus was a particular person. Uh, who had a particular group of friends, a particular neighborhood that he, um, you know, grew up playing soccer in, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, and all of that is, um, God takes all of that on in becoming incarnate and in becoming flesh and blood as a, as the person, um, Jesus Christ, um, which is pretty neat. And <laughs> that's the technical theological term for that. Pretty neat. <laughs> well, and I think too, what's so important about the incarnation is, and and you touched on this and 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 when we were talking even before we came on the air what's what's really sometimes what we do with the incarnation is we we narrow it down to this little story of a manger in Bethlehem and this little babe lying in swaddling clothes which for the sake of stating this really clearly the humanity of Jesus as you said uh is so important but it's much more than just a babe in a manger. And it's so much more than the nativity story. We almost romanticize that. The incarnation has this um, cosmic implication for all of us and all of creation. And the fact that God rips through space and time to come in a form that is like you and me. There's a, and I think you said this earlier, Daniel, there's an earthiness to, to Jesus that, is really what we're talking about here. We're not just talking about the babe. We're talking about the whole person of Jesus Christ walking on this earth and what that means for us. And there's, you know, the early church is just full of church fathers talking about, fathers and mothers talking about the incarnation because it's really important because it all starts with that. You don't have crucifixion without the incarnation. 
You don't have the passion story without the incarnation. You don't have the miracles without the incarnation. You don't have the beautiful 12 disciples and what they do without the incarnation. You don't have somebody walking on water without the incarnation. You have none of that unless God chooses to enter into human space and time in the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ. And there's power to that. And that's what makes this doctrine big, but yet beautiful and mysterious at the same time, which is also so important. So important that we hold on to that stuff. Well, one of the things I think is worth, you know, saying, just dwelling on a little bit longer. And Daniel, you brought this up and this was really, I think, an important point and says something really important about God um, is just that God comes to us in particular ways. There's a particularity not just to Jesus, you know, not just to emphasize sort of the historical fact of Jesus, but the way that God enters into human experience is particular. And that's, and that's historical. I mean, God spoke to Abraham, God spoke to Moses, God spoke to Isaiah, um, to individual particular people, um, that that's how God works. I think is is worth mentioning. And I think it was um, Carl Barth who said that all revelation of God is particular um, as opposed to general. There's an, you know, just to give a thumbnail, there's an idea that revelation um, can be general. Um, for instance, we might see um, the sunset and think that it's a, it's a, you know, a general revelation to everybody who might see it um, about God. But in fact, it's speaking to you in a particular way that God is, is accessing you in a particular way through it. Um, I think what's important about that is, you know, and you said this, that, that God doesn't come to us in abstract ways um, that there is particularity to the, the lived experience of God. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, I mean, it's, we, we use the, we use the name Jesus so much that we forget that it's a name, you know, like it, that it's a particular yeah person it's not it's not human christ it's jesus christ you know it's not a concept that god says this is my beloved you know um listen to him it's a it's a person with a name um and i think yeah i think that the example of abraham is is good um there's a long tradition of god's call to abraham um, as god i'm calling a particular patriarch and subsequent um, family and descendants out of idolatry and making him holy. And so that the, the being to be holy is to be set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what's going on with Abraham. That's what God um, does when he calls um, the Israelites out of, out of slavery in Egypt is that there's this reaching into um, not, not really the messiness because there's no such thing as um, the human life without messiness, but, but into a kind of um, brokenness or falsehood and collecting um, people out of that and making them holy, which is a way of making them particular. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you know, like the, the elements of, um, on the altar, or sorry, the vessels on the altar, like a callus and a patent, they're a cup and a plate. Like let's, let's call them what they are <laughs> they're set apart. I mean, they're holy, you know, because they're set apart for a particular kind of work. Um, it's this particular cup, it's this particular plate. Um, what happens in uh, Jesus of Nazareth? Um, I think there's two things that happen uh, that we that that um, always reach us in the particular is that in in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, what God does is God um, 
creates anew our, the, the network of human relationships in which we live. Um, and then God also creates anew um, our relationship to the immaterial and inanimate world. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, t- I'll take those in order. So um, when Jesus of Nazareth is on earth, um, teaching and healing and feeding and casting out demons and doing all, doing all those wonderful things and exercising his ministry, there's a community that gathers around him and follows him. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the names, of a lot of these folks we know, Peter, Mary Magdalene, James, John, stuff like that. Um, but then uh, on the, the cross, um, Jesus dies um, and all of that ends. Um, it's not just that the life of Jesus ends on earth. It's that that network of relationships, um, those connections are sundered. Um, the figure that united this community together um, is gone. And so that community is, is shattered. It's scattered across, you know, the face of the earth. Um, and then in the resurrection, uh, what happens is that God um, is reconstituting. I mean, raising Jesus, God also reconstitutes the community around Jesus. Um, but it, but it's new now, now what happens is if we're going to, to, to join the community, uh, whose Lord is the risen one, um, then what happens is that we enter that community um, having to name in particular that either we are the ones who crucified Jesus of Nazareth or we are ones who abandoned Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. Mm. Um, something that is abstract as like evil or brokenness becomes the particular sins that you and I commit. And it is in forsaking and repenting of those that we enter the community around the risen one. So in one of Peter's very first sermons, he's, he's talking to this crowd in Jerusalem and says, this Jesus whom you crucified, mm-hmm. this is not abstract. Like he's looking at an actual crowd of people who were complicit in their actual crucifixion of an actual man. And this is the thing they need to repent of. And this is coming from the mouth of Peter, who in particular abandoned this particular man. Mm-hmm. And it is only after having passed through his own tears and remorse of having abandoned Jesus that Peter is then empowered to preach repentance to this group of, of crucifiers. So in the incarnation, um, what is uh, the, so the, the coming of God to earth in Jesus of Nazareth is the precondition that makes both the crucifixion of Christ's body and the resurrection of Christ's body possible. Um, and the resurrection of Christ, it reconstitutes human, human relationships. Um, and that, and entering into that body begins with repentance. You know, this is this is one of the things that we see performed in baptism. So that's how the incarnation sort of impinges upon and recreates um, the network of, of our human relationships. Like repentance is now part of the part of our life. You know, like when I wound Bryn or Justin, I have to repent because what I have done is I have re- I have crucified the Lord of Glory again when I you know when I sin. Um, but God also. Um, is reconstituting our um, relationship to the inanimate world, to the physical stuff of the universe, which also testifies to the reality of God. Um, so in, in the letter to Ephesians, um, the author talks about how um, Christ is the head, um, not just of the church, but of all things. And all things are reconstituted somehow. Christ is the head of, of the cosmos. Um, and so the way, the way we see this, this play out is that... Um, after the incarnation, the walking around on earthness of God, um, the very things with which God interacts bodily in Jesus um, 
are imbued with uh, new power and significance. Um, so the laying on of hands, bread, wine, water, um, human speech even. Um, our relationships to these material objects and material phenomena are now different. And in the church, we call these the sacraments. Um, the best example I've got uh, is that a big sort of a formative moment for me <laughs> in, my, in my particular life uh, was the was the first time that um, I babysat uh, Lucy's and my niece by myself, not like as part of a team of adults and in-laws <laughs> who were responsible for this kid, but I was solely responsible. Uh, so I did bath time, bedtime, bottle, all that stuff. She was like one and a half or so. Um, and when, when my niece got to my house, um, suddenly all of the, the physical objects in my house were different to me now. <laughs> so like the coffee table was not just a piece of furniture, but like was a potentially lethal object because it had sharp corners that a toddler could just sort of like smack her face on. Um, the recycle bin was no longer just a place where you put discarded cardboard, but it was like a toy box. This was a really exciting thing because she was into the cardboard tubes and all that stuff. Um, so when this physical person uh, entered into my house, my relationship to the inanimate things in my house changed. Um, so too, when God enters the cosmos as Jesus of Nazareth, our relationship to the material inanimate things of the cosmos change also. Um, the presence of Jesus of Nazareth with, with us changes our relationship to things like bread, wine, the laying on of hands, water, human speech. These things have a new significance, a new resonance that they did not have before. Um, now um, they are bread and wine and the body and blood of Jesus. Um, now this water makes us clean of physical dirt, but also cleanses us of our sin um, and is the water of new birth um, as members of the body of Christ. Um, so the incarnation, um, we sometimes we shrink it down and think about it as this thing that happens on Christmas is like the moment of incarnation is the moment of Jesus's birth. It is that, but also all this other stuff. Um, the incarnation, the physical presence of God with us um, as a human, in the shape of a human life, um, changes our relationships to other human beings, but also changes our relationship to the non-human world around us. Um, so the, the the effects of the incarnation, I guess, are total. In so yeah, many ways, I, the incarnation is, is, is the electrical circuit in this machine that makes it all come to life. Because without it, it you just, it, it's not there. It's just not going to happen. It's just, I mean, and our connections back to God and to one another and our possibilities in the way that God created us are, are somewhat limited without this wonderful uh, and sacred mystery of the incarnation. It just, it would not be, we won't be able to live the fullest life that God maybe calls us to without this, this great gift that, that came. That's not just a babe again in the manger, as you so eloquently said, Bryn, you were about to say something. Yeah, just to to name that we we've talked about these two dimensions then. We've talked about the particularity that it's not abstract that Jesus had a, you know, a a physical real presence in the world and that that's how God, you know, speaks to us. That's how God reveals God's self to us is in the particularity, but that there's this cosmic dimension too that 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 particularity changed everything. It changed things for all of us. Um, and in that way, the incarnation is not something that just happened a long time ago, um, but that 
is, uh, but that's ongoing. Um, yeah, and, like, like the, the making particular of, of God's presence. So like when we talk about the sacraments, like nobody, nobody receives communion in the abstract or is baptized in the abstract. It's like a, a particular community of people, a particular priest, a particular day in which all these things happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So I, I think, you know, we've, we've laid a good foundation of kind of the, the rich dimension of what we're talking about with the incarnation. Um, and now I think we can bring it forward to what's happening in, you know, in 2020. Um, we know that this has been a, a rough year for pretty much everybody um, with pandemic, with um, our political climate and the election that we had. Um, with our, our nerves just frayed, um, at this point in all of this. And here we are getting ready to, um, to celebrate, to celebrate the incarnation. Um, what is, what, what do y'all think the incarnation really means for us here at the end of 2020, which I will here on record call the worst year ever. <laughs> this is the great the great question Bryn you asked the so what so what for the incarnation yeah so what does it mean for us it's a great question right it's a great especially when you feel like you're standing in the desert as I think all three of us were talking about before we came on air just sitting mm -hmm. in the desert and to be quite frank it's terrible it's it's horrible it's you know it's it's lonely yeah. it's isolating it's it's um and yeah. that's what this year's been go ahead Daniel well I think one of the I don't know when when we started. I don't know when we started to think this way, but um, we we were one of the great temptations. I don't even know if that's the right word for it. Um, but uh, in a time of suffering like 2020 has been, is to is to we we at some point we've convinced ourselves that we're gonna that we're gonna come to an understanding of it, you know, and like like that the incarnation is gonna respond. For Christians, that there is that it's going to answer this question of why or how or 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 something like that, and I think um, I think part of the the terror of or holy fear um, of God is that God doesn't doesn't owe us an answer to these questions. Um, that um, what we see in the incarnation, if we're going to be honest about what it means to become a particular human, is that um, Jesus underwent an experience particular sadness, even particular trauma, frankly. Um, and what we are seeing in the incarnation, uh, and by that, I mean the whole sweep of the life, death, and, and I think also resurrection of, of Jesus is that God is claiming the entire field of human endeavor and human failure um, as God's own. Um, so if we're going to be honest about God becoming a, a real person, a particular person, then we're also becoming, then we're also having to be honest about the fact that like Jesus's brain chemistry had better days than others. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, when we go, when Jesus goes out into is led by the, or driven depending on how you're reading this by the Holy spirit into the wilderness early on in his earthly ministry, um, Jesus is just out there and he's just in the wilderness and he's hungry and he is alone and he is probably uh, wondering what in God's name is supposed to happen out here um, or what this is for. Um, and he's just out there. You know, there's no obvious sense in which um, 
the Jesus's temptation in the wilderness bears any kind of fruit. Like it doesn't have a utility that is, that is obvious um, from a human perspective of a human experience of what that must've been like for 40 days in the, in the wilderness. Like, like what's the utility here? Um, and I, and I, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of like one of those um, experiences against which all of our well-formulated questions just break like waves on a rock. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not what, like, what, like, what are we, what, what are we saying? Like God doesn't do anything in the wilderness. Satan does stuff. Like it's, it's the devil that shows up and like puts on a mm-hmm. show and there's hunger and there's suffering and there's another day, another day, another day. Um, if we're to take anything from that, um, I think it's a kind of honesty about when we're in the desert um, and when it feels like we're in the desert, um, not of our own choosing, but by forces that led us or drove us there, um, a pandemic, things like that. Um, and I think our task is to be honest about the desert. Um, and if there's comfort, um, it's very, it's not much more than the knowledge that Jesus was also here. And that even this, um, even down to the bottom of this suffering has been claimed as God's territory. And that even this, um, is part of the highway out, um, um, of despair, uh, the highway out of, um, isolation, um, and the other thing about the, the, I think that is instructive about the Jesus's sojourn in the wilderness is that, um, it's not done until God says it's done. Like we don't even like being in the desert means being in the desert for as long as it is, as, as we're here, you know, like God is the one who gets to decide. Um, I think there's a lot of temptations, especially for American Christians, Americans, we do well with lots of energy and sort of like triumphalism. And like when we're able to build or do or be productive. Mm-hmm. And like, none of that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. You know? And so this is particularly hard for us. And it also means that for American Christians, the great temptation is to make the good news saccharine news um, mm-hmm. or, to, or to make it like basically spiritual high fructose corn syrup. When like, we forget that like hunger is like a fundamental spiritual experience. And that's what we have right now. Hunger for each other, hunger for big choirs with lots of music. So St. Liz, our choir is not only great, but we have horns. And like the horn music is terrific. And it's like horns are like the literal worst thing (laughs) for an aerosol (laughs) germ, you know? I mean, it's just like, it's like a fire hose of just like potential contaminants, you know? And we're not doing that right now. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I I think, I think the, the good news of Jesus of Nazareth um, is seen to be good news at the end of the story, it's not seen to be good news in the desert. It's not seen to be good news on Good Friday. And it's not seen to be good news on the long silences of Holy Saturday when we're all cooped up behind locked doors, yeah. which is what 2020 has been. Um, and so I think one of the idols that's getting smashed for us right now is this, this notion that we're going to get answers to a lot of these questions. We're just not. We're going to lament and we're going to pray. And it'll be over when God says it's over. Um and I mean, I think that's just true. Like we're, we're never the potter. We're always the clay. Um, and that kind of sucks. <laughs> like right Well, now. but it, it does, but there's also some, there's also some relief in it to know that like one, the control that we would like to have and that we don't have, we just don't need to have. Um, yeah. And can, it was always sort of an illusion anyway. Right. It was always just an illusion there you know, which isn't to say in the midst of a pandemic that we should do nothing, obviously. And, you know, we talked about this earlier, we have to respond to the world as it is. 
Um, but the world as it is, in terms of our you know, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual experience of it is a real wilderness right now. It's a really, it's a really deserted place, but because of the incarnation and because of what you talked about earlier, Daniel, about that cosmic entry of God into history, changing the nature of the world, but also the particular entry of Jesus into a community that then is reborn in his resurrection both of those, I think, combine in the church. Um, and then it's our it's our experience of being the continued body of Christ as the church. Yeah. It also means like we we look out in the desert and oh, I'm not alone. Daniel's there. I'm not alone. Justin's there. I'm not alone. My husband is there. Like there's there is some the incarnation at there is some real hope, like real genuine hope because of the incarnation, even when we're in the desert and alone. So I would say that's the big point for me with, with kind of finding some, uh, what do you want to call a silver lining hope? That's not high fructose corn syrup, which I think that's a great metaphor for what we do. We just pump ourselves full of that stuff and hope we'll Mm -hmm. feel better on the other, almost become numb. Is that, through the incarnation is St. Athanasius, Maximus the Confessor, on and on, Tertullian, St. Augustine touches on this. It just goes down the line of the early church guys talking about this, you know, trying to understand Jesus and what Jesus is doing to humanity and our relationship to God and to each other. Is that very thing, the connections between us become so so deep and so uh, vast that, yeah, in my kind of terrible tragedy of 2020, my desert, oh, crap. I'm not by myself in the desert, you know, Daniel's in the desert, Bryn's in the desert, Vanessa, my wife's in the desert. You know, we start looking around, we go, Mm -hmm. and there might be a little more terrible today than mine is. So maybe, you know, part of, part of my job, part of what I'm called to do is to kind of move beyond myself, which is hard, right? That's the hard work of the gospel. Like that's the hard work of discipleship for me is to get beyond myself to serve someone else to come alongside them. But that's, but I'm given that kind of, dare I say, power and authority by virtue of, of God in a particular way, entering into human time in the person of a particular individual, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus does in a very real and particular way for me and for so many others, for, for the human family and the cosmos um, allows me and gives me the hope and strength to do that very thing, which is connect with each other, uh, even yeah. in our desert experiences. I always think about, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll back off of this, but you know, you think about the Israelites moving in the wilderness, they were together. Now they grumbled and they complained. It's, you know, if you go back, it's funny. I was just reading these stories recently. If you go back and read that, it sounds like Americans in particular, since I'm an American, <laughs> I'm not going to speak to other countries. It sounds like us in 2020. When can I have my worship back? I want this. When can this go? But you know, as much as I can make fun of those things, I want that stuff too. Like I want a lot of stuff mm-hmm. back, right? It's real. And, and we're crying out. But as you said so eloquently, Daniel, we don't know when it's going to end. It's, it's, it's in God's good time. Is God going to use a uh, big pharma to, to, to fix this pandemic? Is it, you know, what's going to happen that's going to move us out of this pandemic? In the meantime, we're together in the wilderness uh, and, and there's a, there's some possibilities of what can be done in that time and space. Yeah. The, so like, we like, we forget, like, like when Jesus is 
feeding people in the wilderness or uh, yeah, feeding people in the wilderness or healing or whatever. Like um, we always get focused on Jesus as the, the doer of signs and wonders, but like, he's also one of the people who's like getting the sunburn from being outside all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's also one of the people um, there's a, so the, I think the, the, the anodyne for like high fructose corn syrup church um, is in um, and like what, like what is real food and John, I think it's John four when Jesus is having this conversation uh, with the woman of Samaria at the well, um, the, the disciples go off and they come back and they're like, master, eat something. And he says, I have food that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Mm-hmm. And whether or not it's a pandemic or the economy's booming and everybody's happy and hugging, like the food, Christian food continues to be the same. It's to do the will of him who sent me. Um, that's a life that is shaped like that is a life that is shaped like Jesus, you know? Um, and I think, I think the other thing, the other thing that's important to note in terms of particularity is that um, especially early on in the pandemic, I heard, heard some of these Christian leaders just making these asinine comparisons to, we should continue to worship, even though it's dangerous because that's what the early martyrs would have done. And it's (laughs) like, no, that's not what the early martyrs would have done. Like when they got fed to the lions, like the lions didn't follow them to Thanksgiving dinner and eat their family. (laughs) <laughs> like that's not how that worked. Um, part of part of what we're doing right now with the isolation is like it's sort of like we're kneeling at the altar of the sacredness of our neighbor's body. Like that's what isolation is. It's a form of um, worship is in the neighborhood of the word that I want. It's a form of worship of the image of God and the sacredness of the image of God in in um, our neighbor um, by being a part. Like like yes, Jesus's death. Um, becomes a kind of testimony to the abiding love of God. And our own deaths can also be that. Like our relationship to death is that way too. But there's, but, but Jesus, at no point does Jesus's body uh, become a weapon that threatens the lives of his followers. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that during Corona tide, like it's not, if, if the bodily risk was just to me when I showed up to worship, then I would probably be one of the people saying, yeah, we need to open the doors because, because then um, worship is only a place where by showing up your, your, your faith um, exercises or your exercise of faith is a threat to your own well-being, but to nobody else's. Um, but that's not what coronavirus is like, mm-hmm. like our bodies are weaponized potentially. And so when we gather, it's not just our own lives that we're putting at risk. It's somebody else or somebody else's. And that's not church. It's just not like the wages of sin is death. And that's literally ratcheting up the chance that your physical proximity to your neighbor is going to result in their, in their harm. And they are a sacred being like they're made in God's image being church right now looks a lot like a lot of private prayer because that's how you honor the sanctity of your neighbor. The fact that your neighbor is made out of the same stuff Jesus was made out of. Like that's what isolation looks like right now. It's a kind of adoration of the body of Christ present in your neighbor, whom we have um, a duty to, to um, in whose best interest we have a duty to act, you know? And that's the thing that St. Athanasius covers so well, and to me speaks to our discipleship, which I think we're touching on now, which is, is really important, is that, you know, St. Athanasius goes on and on and on his 
great treatise on the incarnation about the fact that the word enters in to the person of Jesus Christ and that, that we are reminded that we're made in the image of likeness of God. So caring for the other is part of a response to the incarnation as a part of living into the incarnation is caring about something other than yourself, somebody other than yourself. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, one of the hardest things we, we probably all three do is, is vicars and rectors and, and pastors is shepherd people through. But as I think uh, Daniel, you said before we came on air so eloquently that really sunk with me is you can't shepherd dead sheep. You know, you can't shepherd a dead sheep. And we have to find ways to to respect uh, the dignity. And that's a big theme in the early church, right? Dignity. And I talked about this last week when we did spiritual giving, but the dignity being our, when they talk about it in the early church, they're talking about your uniqueness. And in, in, it's something you between you and God, you and the creator that is made known in, in Jesus Christ. It's, it's solidified in Jesus Christ so that you develop your gifts to, to live what we might call a calling, to live out your calling. But only you know that. So if we just threaten the dignity of another person, we are in sense just trashing the creation and trashing what God has gifted us with uh, by way of, of revealing God's self to us more fully through each interaction with each person that we meet. You know, so, so yeah, it may be hard. And, and, and I'm saying this to all the folks out there who, who miss worship, the, that maybe you, maybe I want that. But the better question is, what do we need right now? And what we need right now is to see this pandemic through. There is light at the end of the tunnel. The incarnation gives us the strength, not to find all the answers to the questions that we're not going to find answers to, but to be together in this place in the desert and to love on each other the best way we can. Admit when it just is terrible. Yeah. And walk with each other. I mean, we're moving. And the thing that you said earlier, Daniel, that's so powerful that I hope we can hold on to is Jesus is in the desert too. He's in the desert too. He's been there, done that in the desert with us. It's not that we're... The desert has been claimed. The desert has been claimed as God's territory. Like it's part of the spiritual map. Exactly. But it's like... Pretending that we're not in the desert when we're, when we're in the desert is a mistake. <laughs> so I, I think I think for me, part of what we do is we kind of live out our faith. Is we we find those ways to 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 reach out to the other, to to hold the other, to care for the other. Um, and for some of us, you know, I was talking to a family member who's really struggling, and and I said to them, you know, why don't we wake up in the morning, even if all we can do is name all those things that I want. And then really look at them and say, okay, what's this? Is this better in God's kingdom? Is this me operating in that? Or do I need to let some of this go? Because that's the beauty of what God allows us to do is we can, can let that stuff go. We can really let it go and realize we don't have that much control. We really don't have that much control. So what are y'all thinking? All these final thoughts, final thoughts on discipleship. And then I've got rapid fire questions for Daniel as our, as our headlining guest on yeah. Lit. I think my one of the so both as a priest and also just like as a person who's tried to observe all this, like we forget that like it's not just the pandemic. Like there's um, Ahmaud Arbery, there was George Floyd, and like the incarnation is determinative in all these things. Like, um, like George Floyd was a particular was was a crucifixion. Like that's what that was, you know. Um, and that's when, when we talk about Jesus being made particular. That's part of what we're talking about um, when we talk about um, 
following a particular Christ or the particularity of incarnation, discipleship is going to look, uh, it's going to be particular, you know, like, like the original sin of the United States is racism and slavery, you know, um, discipleship during a pandemic is going to, is going to mean <laughs> like in order, in a weird way, in order to honor the dignity of every human person, uh, we're going to have to like trade, like cash in some of our like cheaper dignity and like show up and do worship outside in a camping chair, <laughs> you know, um, even though that even though that lacks the the holiness, like that's what the particularity of our calling is right now is. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of words like incarnation or faithfulness or whatever, like we like to think of those in the abstract or we like to think about those in the well-worn habits that we already know. And we don't like to imagine the sort of the we don't like to blaze new trails um, in response to particular things because that's scary, you know, Um I guess in terms of final thoughts, I mean, I think the, I think that's, that's where I am. Um, yeah. I think my final thought is just, I'm really continue to be struck by the, our conversation about the particularity of Christ, but also the way in which that was God reaching into humanity and calling us into holiness. And Daniel, you said that earlier, um, in terms of our discipleship, I think, you know, that calling us into holiness is calling us to become Christ-like because only because Christ is the most perfect response to anything we need. And so if we're responding to the need in the world, the most perfect way we can respond to any need in the world is by being Christ-like in our response. Whether that's, you know, being Christ-like and in not in, you know, trying not to infect our neighbors with coronavirus or being Christ-like in, um, you know, even just standing six feet away from the person in front of us um, when we're trying to pick out our produce um, or, you know, the many ways that we will continue to serve each other after this pandemic or through the, through the end of this pandemic, um, that, that the incarnation isn't just about Jesus's holiness and showing us an example, but it's about calling us into a similar holiness to call us to be Christ-like. Yeah. Like, like the word, whatever the, whatever creation whatever creation asks or rails at God, like whatever we say, like God's response, the word that God speaks is always a name and it's Jesus, you know? And so like, what is like, what's the, what's the Christ-like thing in the desert? What's the Christ-like thing? Is it a whip of cords? Is it being hungry and waiting until God says it's time to leave the desert? You know, like, what is it? You know, I think that's a good, I mean, it's funny. It's like as cliche as it is, like what would Jesus do is that's pretty, it's pretty good. Uh (laughs) Yeah. What would Jesus do? That's a great way for us to end uh, this incarnation. Now, as I said to you, Daniel, before we came on air, I've got three questions for you. Rapid fire, questions, quick answers. Don't be theological. Don't be heady. You just spit them right out. Who's your favorite theologian to read? Uh, Right now, uh, they're um, Rudy Tavelde, which I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, um, and David Burel. Um, They're both uh, Thomas Aquinas folks. That's, those are my favorite. Tra- David Burel in pr- particular. Mm-hmm. Okay. Guilty pleasure song. Uh, Ariana Grande's Dangerous Woman. <laughs> or Ariana Grande, excuse me. <laughs> and then, uh, and what's, uh, what do you most love about the Episcopal Church? 
uh, making fun of the Episcopal Church. Awesome. <laughs> like, like the uh, like when I was a it's true when I was a youth minister and it's true of priesthood. Like the only thing better than being a priest is making fun of priests. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so thank much you, for Daniel. being on lit with us today, uh, and to you. all our to all our listeners. Um, as we near uh, Christmas is a few days away, Merry Christmas to you and your families. We hope you have a a very blessed and happy holidays and, and and find love with each other in the most creative and safe ways possible. And Brent and I, of course, share our love with you and thank you for your listenership. And and then as we move ahead, we'll be jumping back into the prayer book um, and we'll have thematic uh, episodes like this popping up in 2021. We hope you'll continue your journey with us. We'll have more guests. We might hear from Daniel again in the future. Uh, we, of course, will welcome him back. And last but certainly not least, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to email us. You'll find our emails in the show notes. We would love to connect with you uh, as we move on this adventure together as mm-hmm. we begin to wonder about holiness, discipleship, spirituality, and the intersection of all three. So thank you so much for listening today, and we will see you next time.